0: Thank you, Tanner. Um, Tanner will be uh, preaching in two Sundays and Cody Hinton is preaching this uh, next Sunday because for some unknown reason, a group of us decided to ride RAGBRAI starting next Sunday. Uh, So um, I'll be gone, hopefully riding successfully. My daughter, Hannah, uh, Christy leads our worship. Um, Brandon Brenton, who just is a beast. So um, and then Kaylin um, McCord. So a lot of us will be out next Sunday and we'll be crawling in here the Sunday after that. Uh, but uh, um, that's to say too, uh, several of us do quite do a decent amount on a Sunday morning and just setting up the church and tearing down the church. And so, um, man, if you next Sunday want to get here at 7 a.m., It's actually an incredible time here. You might not think it is, but uh, there's a lot of incredible conversation. BJ will be here serving you coffee during that time, and uh, you can get to know him better. For me, it's a highlight of my morning. Actually, is being here during setup, uh, then teardown, and uh, I've also, uh, throughout the years, the church previously that was a part of, we set up or did setup as well and it was a neat thing to bring the kids to, and I've got pictures of Silas and Hannah when they're like this tall, just like carrying a chair and setting up a chair, and just ways to like serve the church and to pray uh, into the church, even like church isn't just this like, like consumeristic, like come to the show and leave. It's a community, and so um, so anyway, that to say, if you're interested in any of that, Tanner who just gave the announcement it's kind of is the guy that you would want to go up to and be like, okay, i 'm here, what do I do um, and he he's got all that in his mind of ways that that you can help with that, um, but man, we 'd love if you want to jump in and please be be praying for us and that as well and um, this Sunday for me has been an interesting Week preparing for for this message, we're preaching through the book of Genesis. Sometimes I don't I, I don't even like pay attention to exactly what's coming up and and but I was always I was like, oh man, I think this this week, Lord willing, I I, I want my life to be connected to the life of this passage and um, it's on uh, where we'll be going today is is Abraham. Uh, His wife, Sarah, passing away, and details are connected to that. And uh, my wife, Patty, passed away nine months ago, or a little bit over nine months ago. And so I've been seeing a grief counselor, and I even knew, like, okay, when I see him on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, I want to bring up Genesis 23 uh, and just kind of talk about that. And the counselor is this, like, 70-year-old guy, uh, really, really great guy, and and we're just kind of getting to know each other and stuff. But one of the things I really appreciate about him is he spends time, like real time with God prayerfully, it seems like before we get together. And he's always got multiple pages of like single space notes that he feels like like the Lord may be leading us to talk about in, in the notes. And, um, and I saw he had, like, multiple pages, you know, and I'm trying not to just be like, hmm, what are we going to talk about this time? Uh, but when I brought up Genesis 23, he was like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. He said, my whole first page is Genesis 23. Like, that's, that's I've got all, all this stuff on Genesis 23. And it was, it was encouraging to me that the Lord's got me, that the Lord's got us. Um, and, man, I'm, I'm desiring that he would just lead us right now. Um, And so let's jump in. Verse 1, Genesis 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron is the name of the city even today, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And we don't know what she died of. We don't know if it was a prolonged illness, if it was a sudden thing, we, we do not know. Um, Sarah lived a long life, 127 years. Um, and so we know she has Isaac in her 90s. And so so this is, her, her son is easily in his 20s or 30s at this time. Um, we don't know about those 20 or 30 years, what they were like. Um, and we know that she experienced many of God's promises before dying, but we also know there were more promises that were given to her, like a greater amount of promises that she never saw, she never experienced. And I, the, we're going to see this starts becoming a striking reality in the book of Genesis. Genesis is, um, and, and it's even in the New Testament, we see like the disciple, like Jesus was talking about, I'm coming back. And you can tell in the book of Acts, the disciples are like, it's gonna happen right now. And not knowing that, no, it's going to happen soon, but not now. And, and Sarah and Abraham start getting into the space of realizing like so many of God's promises will not be realized in our lifetime. They will be realized, not in our lifetime. And Abraham mourns for her. Um, I love, I love, love, love that we see that Abraham is weeping for Sarah. So grateful that we know that. Um, I feel like just the word patriarchal, if you say, who are the patriarchs? The first name you would say is Abraham in the Bible. And the name, the, just the term patriarchal, I think has become like a really bad concept in our culture. Seems like chauvinistic, um, like to be patriarchal means uncaring, pushing women down or whatever it may be. And I, I love that the first patriarch, we see him weeping over Sarah. And I think easily he could have gone numb and could have been like, well, hey, She lived 127 years. What's to weep about that? And I love that Abraham can weep. Then verse three, Abraham rose up, so he weeps. Abraham rises up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, these are the people who are in control of the land that's promised to him and is not realized And the Hittites are the powerful people of the day, and he says, verse 4, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, hear us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns it is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. So Abraham rises up. He keeps moving forward, uh, caring about the details with Sarah. And also he is positioning to care about the details of God's continual promises to be fulfilled. And we'll see this next week as, as uh, he really cares about Isaac and Isaac having a wife and promises coming. Um, but it's, it's beautiful that the Hittites are kind to Abraham, for them to even say to Abraham, You are a prince of God among us. That they have observed Abraham's walk with God, Abraham's faith. And Abraham is, is clear with what he wants. Um, I've experienced this, uh, I'm sure not. Uh, perfectly, but having clarity. Hey, I know I want it to be just like this. I know I want, I want it to be just like this. And I love that he has clarity in his grief. He has an ability to see, a desire to know that he's not going to be here forever and that he, for he, Sarah needs a place to be buried and um, he needs a place to be buried and uh, he desires the cave of Machpelah. And he knows who owns it, Ephron owns it. So now verse 10, there's kind of these like real estate negotiations. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of his city. So just, you you might not know this, but in ancient civilization in this area of the world, the gate of the city, so there were city walls around every city basically. Sometimes it was 20 foot thick walls. So you know, they didn't have all this like modern technological stuff where it's like, oh, it's well, it's well protected but there's no physical walls. Like they actually had massive physical walls around every city um, and so the gates of the city became like the bottleneck or the thoroughfare where everyone went in and out of the city. So the people who were like the city councilmen and the leaders of the city were at the gate of the city because that's protected the city. That's where everybody came in and out. It, you, you allowed people to come in, allowed people to go out, kept track of where people were and everything. And so it's very common in all the civilization for, so, so for Abraham to go into the city to talk to the leaders of, of Hebron and for Ephron to be sitting at the city gate means he is also a leader of the city. Um, so verse, now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites. So, there, there's, because there's a bunch of people at the city gate, there's kind of this like witness thing. And we see this throughout scripture of things happening at the city gate. Um, of all who went in at the gate of the city, verse 11, Know, my Lord, hear me. This is what Ephron is saying to Abraham I give you the field. And I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Verse 12, then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. This is like a very usual way that things like this happened at that time. He's, he's, in, he's being very cultural in his respect for these people. Verse 13, he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. He really wants to purchase this. Um, Ephron answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron. Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight's current Among the merchants. So Ephron names his price. Abraham follows the cultural traditions. He buys the cave. And one thing that I find sad, interesting, kind of the, the, the way that I think things can be, is there are times in scripture where God goes up to Abraham and says, Look everywhere you can see. I give you all of that land. Just look around, it's yours. Your descendants, you won't even be able to count. Then he starts talking about how Jesus will be born through his lineage and how we will become descendants of him through adoption by giving our lives to Jesus. And he's like, Abraham, this is yours, man. Like, look. And the only property Abraham truly owns at his death is their gravesite which I find really interesting and worthy of of chewing on and and, um, thinking about. Um, There's a group of texts, documents, that were in a place called Ugaritic. Well, the language is Ugaritic, um, that were discovered. There were 1,300 clay tablets that were found that dated to the 12th and 13th century B.C., Okay, here's a, I think, yeah, so here's a picture. This is one of the 1,300 documents that are known as the Ugaritic texts. And so what this is describing is the Canaanite life at this time. So it's a really fascinating horde of documents is the way that they describe it. And one of the things that's really interesting is that in the 1,300 Ugaritic texts, Six of them are real estate contracts. So it's real estate contracts in Canaanite. And one of the things that's interesting is three out of the six real estate contracts were for 400 shekels of silver. Which is really cool because uh, what it basically says is like a, a, a common cost for property in Canaan in the 12th century BC was 400 shekels of silver Um, and uh, things like that. Like, it's not like the central part of my message, like, ha. Um, But it's, it's fascinating how God in his kindness allows, you know, many, 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 many hundreds of years later for us to discover things that just affirm like, hey, this is all true. Um, you can trust this. You can trust the minute details of, of what you're hearing here. Um, and so, so this was a common price that Abraham paid. I don't, I don't think Ephron was trying to, to take advantage of him in his time of need. Then verse 17. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, And all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. Verse 20, the field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. So the cave of Machpelah, most likely, um, so the, the cave is purchased. And one thing that is really fascinating is most likely Sarah is still in that cave, her body. Abraham and Sarah are, are still in that cave. Um, and then also um, uh, the, his kids as well. So um, Isaac, it's believed that Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob and their wives, Rebecca and Leah are all buried in this cave. And it's a really significant archeological place. Um, So one of the things that's interesting about this place is that basically from from this time, that whole area has been controlled by someone or some people that um, esteem Abraham. So either through Isaac's lineage or through Ishmael's lineage. So for over 3,000 years, there's never been this like crazy group of people who like don't care about cultural artifacts and just go in and decimate the place. Like it it has been a place that has been esteemed since this time period. And so it continues to be this shockingly undisturbed place. And so one of the first pictures is before um, they had photos, if you wanna show that, um, so this was a drawing of a building that was placed on top of the cave well before photography was invented. So, so here's the next like, a updated photo of this area. And so a fascinating thing about this is that building was built by Herod the Great. So that building was built in 10 BC. And so it is actually the only complete building still in existence from the time period of Herod that was built by him. And so, so that's a, you know, we have nothing like that in the United States, a building where you can say that was constructed in 10 BC and it is still going strong. Um, and then if you um, go to the next one, this actually shows um, the building on top of the cave system. Um, and so no one goes down there. Um, I think like if you read on it, they think there have been like three people um, in the last thousand years that have actually gone down there. Like archaeologists like sent like a 12-year-old girl down there like 30 years ago because she was small enough to fit through some of the openings and stuff. And she just reported on like, yeah, I walked down those steps. I went to here and I went here. Um, but uh, so, so there's a lot of like really interesting Physical things connected to Genesis 23. Um, I think where the Lord is leading us is to look at like that's that's interesting. It's good. It's it's a you know a place you could go and visit and stuff. But uh, like what spiritually is going on? Like what is even happening in Sarah's heart? What's happening in Abraham's heart? In the middle of all of this. And so Hebrews 11. I've been really thankful for the book of Hebrews in this journey through the book of Genesis, because sometimes the book of Hebrews is filling in the gaps of like, what some of these people are thinking, what they're feeling, like as even they're, they're dying. And they're, they, God has promised them a lot and they know that there's like the promise column. There's a whole bunch of things that haven't been checked off yet. Uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 10, it starts by, this is talking about Abraham it says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Then verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, meaning menopause happened a long time ago. Um, Like it's actually impossible for her to conceive. And God does impossible things all the time. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. She did that imperfectly, just like we do that imperfectly. Uh, Her and God had this interchange, like she's laughing as she's believing God's powerful to do that. Um, But she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. I have to laugh whenever I read that. Like, how would you like that to be forever memorialized in Scripture? Speaking of Abraham, like, yeah, he was basically as good as dead. That was his physique, (laughs) you know. Um, But here, therefore, one man and him as good as dead. From them were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Then verse 13, these all died in faith. And man, I just think in our culture, I had a buddy that, uh, Eric Weisenbaugh, a good friend of mine, he was a top surgeon in Oklahoma City. He had gone through... um, Uh, amazing school. Um, The University of California actually named a department chair after him in the chair of urology, and he was this top urologist. He did all of his study at the top schools, and he went to um, he started his practice. The local news did a thing about how great it was. that Oklahoma City had this cutting edge surgeon that could do things that nobody else could do. And he got a practice for three months. Two little kids, got a a brain tumor, and for a year he knew he was going to die, sometime inside the year. Um, His parents were wealthy. Um, uh, Many things he could do. I remember meeting, I met with him every week until he passed away, and I remember um, at the very beginning asking him, like, what's on your bucket list? Like, I know you have a lot of money, like, you have access to money, you have access to these different things, like, you know, what's your flurry list? I gotta do this, 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 I gotta accomplish, I gotta, you know, like, we buck up against like, like, I need to make a name for myself that'll be, or whatever it may be, and he was like, he was like, I wanna read the entire Bible, I've never done that before. He's like, I wanna tuck my kids in to bed every night, and that's it. I don't want to do anything else. And, um, and he did that. Um, he became a really dove into scripture. And I think of him in this, that he died in faith. He didn't die in a, in a, I'm fighting against everything. And I'm not against like, you know, trying to seek every healing and treatment and stuff like that. I'm just saying the posture of our heart being we're in God's hands and, I, and I, like, Sarah died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Like, I, I just see Abraham and Sarah maybe speaking this to each other. I don't know what Sarah's days were like but they acknowledged even to each other that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Verse 14, for people who speak this way, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Honey, we're not home yet, are we? No, we're not home. And we're, we're seeking a homeland. Yes, we're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But they're like, we're not going back. We're not turning back. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And man, I just... I feel like this verses 13 through 16 could just like wash over us, just like over and over and over again of like the posture of Abraham and Sarah's hearts, the the posture of how they're approaching, that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, For people who speak thus, who speak this way, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. And what we see, too, is like Abraham doesn't become like so focused there that he's not present here like Cody's going to, and I was talking to Cody this morning, he's like, man, this passage I'm preaching next week is incredible. Um, I think that's, you said something like that. Maybe you use more passionate words even. Um, But to see like Abraham is on the move as God is leading him. Abraham is doing a lot of things here, walking out the promises of God because of he's looking there, he's present here and man, I, I think just, I just have like four questions for us and, and hear my heart too, like these aren't questions to shame you or to shame me. Um, I don't ever want the end of a message to be, so try harder. You stink. Stink less. Try harder. Let's all go out. Try harder and come back next week and feel like we failed and let's try harder. Um, the, the hope is that God moves in our hearts in a way that we move closer to him and that, that we don't try harder, we actually surrender. And let him empower us in a way that we're living as free people. And we are free in his love to be able to, to advance together, stack hands together, lock arms together, and so these questions are meant not to shame you or as an emotional headlock, but they're meant to, for us together to look to God and say, God, where am I with this? Not to earn your pleasure because you have proved to us over and over that you are pursuing us, you love us, you're crazy about us, you're on the move for us, and you, you want us to follow you. And so just one question is, are you seeing God's promises and greeting them from afar, like Sarah did, like Abraham did? Um, what, what, what do I mean by that? I mean, like, are, are you hearing God? Do you have ears to hear God's promises for you? Not for the other guy, not for your wife, not for friends, not for this would be a great message for this other guy, but... but is your life open to say, God, I am looking for your promises. I'm seeing your promises and I'm greeting them. It might sound kind of silly, but it's like, hey, hello, promise. Thank you. Like Here we are together. Like, Are you seeing God's promises and greeting them from afar? And the reality is that the promises aren't as far for us. Like the things that Sarah was seeing, The things that Abraham was being allowed to see, they knew about Jesus, they knew about like the Messiah, that there were promises, there were were things that they kind of knew, and we know so much more. Like we are, we have like just an overflowing amount of treasure and promises and knowledge compared to what they had that they were greeting from afar. It's still far for us. It's still not... So many promises are in the future, and are we seeing them and are we greeting them? And then, just kind of following this down, another question for us is Are you a stranger and an exile on the earth? Are you a stranger and an exile on the earth? Um, I think one way to look at it is like, God, is, is the posture of my heart, is my satisfaction, are my desires like this is all there is? Am I living like this is all there is? Am I living like I am home and I would not wanna be anywhere else? I've told people, like, like people who ask about what it's like living in rural Iowa, I'm like, I've been able to visit other places like Paris and stuff, I was able to go there 20 years ago and I was like, this is actually where I wanna live for the rest of my life. I love rural Iowa, there's nowhere else I wanna be, and I tell you that with full honesty. And I've also told people, like, this is the closest to hell I ever wanna be, and this is not my home. And those things are equally true, and I don't wanna set up my life as if this is all there is. I wanna live as if I'm, it's like, yeah, he, he's an Iowa boy, but he's, he's, He's marching to the beat of a different drum of another place and another country. And are, are we strangers and exiles on this earth? This is not my home. And I think, like I just picture Abraham and Sarah, um, because when my life, my, when Patty was on life support, like we talked about this too. Like, this is not the end. This is not our home. This is not what it's all about. There is more. And, uh, and I think it gives great meaning in grief. And I love that Hebrews 11 is bringing this up, that they're living as if they're strangers and exiles on the earth. And Abraham was wealthier than I think any of us in the room. And this is how he's describing his life. It's like, hey, I'm a stranger here, I'm an exile here. And it, and it might just be like, hey, would there be enough evidence to convict for each of us that this is not our home? Once again, not a shame play, but a honest question before God and friends. Third is, are you seeking a homeland? You know, not just like, okay, it's in neutral. I'm just kind of going to be here until I'm not here. But it's like, am I pursuing? Am I seeking a homeland? Like, scripture, like the New Testament even tells us that we are ambassadors of Christ. Like it's like we are like the weird, you know, it'd be like if the ambassador to France I guess I'm on a Paris-France thing in my mind. But it's like, what if the ambassador to France lived in Collins? You just knew he'd be kind of weird, right? Like, they just, like, at Collins days, it would be like, the ambassador to France would just be kind of different than the rest of us because there would be this, like, I just see him, like, having a parade float about France and throwing out French things and different things. But, like, he would be about his homeland. Might be a bad example because I know, like, we're not all, like, dying and wanting to be like French people. Um, But I love here that it says that for people who speak this way, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Like like that Abraham and Sarah are ending their days like seeking home, like the, the real home. If they had been thinking of that land where they're from, they would have had an opportunity to go back. It's like, I'm so focused on home, I don't even want to go back to the way I used to be before I met him, before Jesus changed me. But alas, as it is, verse 16, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And man, I think just for us to like check our hearts right now, it's like, do you desire a better country? I, I remember, like, right before Patty and I got married, I remember being like, Jesus, I want you to come back so bad, but could it be after, like, could it be, like, in a year? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this married thing, <laughs> and, I, like, I want to see you, but I'd be kind of disappointed if you came back, like, the day before my wedding, and I, that sounds really dumb, and, like, but I, when I really, like, checked my heart in that season, I was, like, wanting him to come back, but not quite yet, um, and being at a place of desiring a better country, a heavenly one, and that that would actually, if that is the yearning of our hearts, that it's actually letting us be present here in a powerful way. Um, and one of the things that we know and that we see that they didn't know and they didn't see is that we're talking about a country, we're talking about a homeland, and I think what's what happens a lot in our culture is that we want the kingdom but we don't want the king. It's like, God, give me and give me this country, but don't I, I I don't want the king to mess with my life. I I I want the king, I want the kingdom, I don't want the king. And we see this by a lot of social initiatives in our culture and stuff, is like, I want it to look like heaven here, but I don't want the king of heaven to mess with me, to mess with my life, to actually be Lord of my life and direct my, my sexuality, direct my passions, direct my hopes, direct my dreams. Um, like I, I want heaven but not the king being Lord of my life, teaching me his ways. And I, that's the direction of our culture in that if we would be a countercultural light in the darkness is that we actually want the king more than the kingdom. We, we do desire a better country, and we desire the king of that country, Jesus. Jesus is the king of that country. Breaking into our reality, he's the king of heaven and earth, we are told. He is alive, he is close, and he offers us communion. Like, we're going to take communion in a little bit. And the beautiful thing is, like, Sarah is greeting these things from afar, And what we know is Jesus came in the flesh, he died for the penalties that we couldn't even pay if we wanted to, this side of glory. He paid for those things, living the perfect life in our place that we couldn't live and dying the death that we could not pay to make it right. And he did those things and conquered death, he defeated death, he is alive and well so that we can be alive and well. In Him, so that we can actually commune with Him. He He uses words like like I actually want you to abide in Me, like a vine and the branches. That's how close I want to be to you. As I as you are looking at these promises that are coming, I want you to be this close. The King of the Better Country, and um, I just feel Abraham and Sarah like desiring, like living this out, we're told in the book of Hebrews. But then for each of us, it's like, man, how often in our day, how often in our life are we like, man, this is just frustrating. This doesn't feel like the way it's supposed to be. Like there are great highs of like, I mean, I love our worship team. I love worshiping. Um, I think we've got just, I'm just so grateful for the, the gifts that we have on our worship team. And man, it's like, but, but then there just seems to be like a thing on, like I spent a lot of Friday at the DMV and we're trying to get passports to go fishing in Canada. I didn't even know you needed a passport to go fishing in Canada. I'm like, I'm just wanting to fish in Canada. And they're like, yeah, you need a passport for that now. Um, and it's just, there are things that I'm just like, it's not supposed to be this way. Why is it so frustrating? Um, and that's a, a little thing, but just us seeking a homeland together, having us desire a better country together, and knowing that we have the king now and he actually invites us to commune with him now, and for some of you, that might mean actually giving your life to him for the first time, and we 've had that happen many times over the last couple months and um, Man, I would just encourage you that if you feel like God is stirring in your life to, to, to give your life to Jesus, let him save you, change you from the inside out, would you do that today? Would you, would you please do that today? Um, if you wanna talk more about that, me or somebody around you would, would love to talk to you about that. And uh, then for all of us, like, would we commune with him even now? like seeking him as Abraham and Sarah sought him, but doing it in a way that like now we have been changed. There are so many promises that we're greeting from afar that we can't wait. And I love that that Jesus, you actually tell us that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of Sarah, like not that you used to be, but you even shared it in a way that you were like, they are with me now. I am currently their God and you shared that with us when you were here. And so, Lord, what it would look like even for us to feel that, that that you are the God of Tim, you're the God of Jonathan, you're the God of Jill. Now, Lord, we wanna commune with you. We want our homeland to stir our hearts. We, we truly want to desire that better country and for that to actually radically change how we live now. That, that things wouldn't have us, that, that the American dream wouldn't have a grip on our soul, but that we can walk into business, we can walk into things with you having the grip on our soul. And Lord, we want to commune with you in that way. We give our lives to you in that way. Jesus, we pray. Amen. So he gave us communion. This is his idea for us to commune with him. And the way we do it here is that we, we come, um, we spend a little bit of time just, just giving him space. Uh, Then we come to the table. If you've given your life to him, come to the table. The shiptons will serve you the elements. Hold out your hands. They'll give you the bread uh, representing his body. Take wine or juice. Obey your conscience there. Uh, Then um, we'll take the elements, then remain standing, and we'll take it together as family. So let's respond to him.